Good evening, brethren. It's good to have one here this evening. Uh, I don't know what happened that you were blessed with my presence two Sundays in a row. It was a scheduling conflict. I do appreciate your presence. If you are visiting, we are glad that you have chosen to be with us. We hope and pray that we could say something that will encourage you, edify you, better enable you to live the Christian life. Ask you to stay around a few minutes afterwards to give us a chance to get to know you better. Hope that hope that you'll come back and visit us when you have time. Malachi was the last prophet in the Old Testament. He prophesied somewhere between 450 and 432 BC. And his name means angel of Jehovah or messenger. He was the messenger of God as the prophets were. He was there to, as most of the prophets were, to bring the children of Israel back because they had strayed, they had wandered from God. The problem that they had was that they had intermingled with the idolatrous people around them. They were intermarrying, they had lost their focus, they had lost their way. And this is the situation that Malachi faced as he prophesied to the children of Israel. If you will, brethren, turn with me to the book of Malachi, and we're going to begin in verse th chapter 3 and verse 7. The children of Israel were blind as to what their problem was. They thought they were fine. They were going about day to day. Their lives were okay. They were prosperous. They were living well. They were at peace. And so they thought that God was blessing them. They had no idea of the true nature of their spiritual state. Listen to what Malachi says beginning in chapter 3 and verse 7. He says, Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away uh, from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, Wherein shall we return? Where did we go astray? Malachi told him, You're just like your fathers. The same thing that Peter told, I mean, uh, the same thing that uh, Stephen told those men when Stephen was stoned, he said, you're just like your fathers. Malachi is telling them at this time, you're just like your fathers. You've gone away. You're no longer following what God has said. And they say, where did we go astray? Will a man rob God? And this is a question that we ask this evening. Will a man rob God? And I want us, brethren, to notice five ways, at least five ways in which a man can rob God. Well, listen to what Malachi says. Well, a man robbed God, yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? <clears throat> in tithes and offerings. What have we done? <clears throat> Where did we go wrong? How can we rob God? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into my storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open unto you the windows of heaven, I pour out you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Return unto God, and God will bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. Keep in mind that the children of Israel were a material people. 
They thought, as people do today, that as long as their storehouses were full, as long as they were doing well financially, physically, and so on, that God was blessing them. God was happy with what they were doing. But God said, return unto me, and I will show you what true blessings are. I will show you what happiness is. I will show you what wealth is. I would look, like for us to notice a moment as how a robber is defined in the dictionary. It is one who takes something by force. Almost every day we hear of robberies here in Montgomery. They do it by intimidation. They do it by threat. They do it by physical force. They take something that rightly belongs to someone else that is not truly theirs. It is one who steals a thief. A thief is just as bad as a robber. He doesn't use force. But still he deceives. He takes something from someone else that is not rightfully his. Something that someone else has, has worked for, has labored for, and takes what is considered their property and something which he has no right to. It is one who defrauds or cheats, one who is dishonest in business, one who deliberately misleads someone in a business deal or, or some other transaction in order to gain a financial advantage over them, regardless of the situation that the other person has. We cannot rob God like a robber does. We cannot go and physically take something away from God but we can take from him what is rightfully his. And I'd like for us this evening, brothers, to notice five ways that we may rob God of what is rightfully his. We can rob God by stealing his word from others. And when I say that we steal his word from others, we can do that in two ways. We can withhold it from others, or we can tell them things that are not true. And we have pre people all over this country today, and Montgomery is infested with them, men and women who claim to be preachers of God's word, telling these people things that are not true. We hear them almost daily say, send me your money and God will bless you. I see them on TV and they tell people, well, if you donate to me, well, God will bless you 10 times over. And so instead of giving money towards a good work, they give money so that they can get something in return. It's like an investment. And they feel that the only way that they can get something from God is to, to invest in that. Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah addresses the issue of the false prophets of his day. Men who were openly telling things that were not true saying that they had dreamed things and God told them things in their dreams and these things were not true. In Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning in verse 25, Jeremiah says, I have heard what the prophet said that prophesied my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. They are deceitful people. They have devised these things on their own. I've heard it said all my life, and I never knew how true it was until I became a Christian, that if a man can't do anything else, he can preach. 
And the point that was being made was you can preach anything and have people to follow you. And you can. Because people listen to what they want to hear. People are willing to be deceived. They're not interested in the truth. They're interested in what feels good. So if a man can't do anything else, if he's too lazy to do anything else, he can preach. Now, I'm not saying that all preachers are deceitful. I'm not saying that all men are lazy and can't do anything else. But there are too many men out there who are of this character. And they preach things that are not true simply to get rich. We all know the, the famous televangelists and, and the others who are out there who are getting filthy rich, claiming to preach the gospel. You got Benny Hinn, you got Joel Osteen, you've got uh, Haggai and all these others who are out there getting filthy rich because people keep sending them money, blindly sending them money. Send me money so I can stay on the air. And people blindly do this because they preach something that makes people feel good where they are and does not convict them of their sins. But Jeremiah asked, how long shall this be in the heart of the prophets? Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. These men are leading people astray. They're causing them to lose their souls. Because the people don't have enough ambition to research things for themselves, to study the scriptures for themselves, and they trust these people to be telling the truth. Verse 30, he says, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. They are stealing the words of God from their neighbor's ears. Because what they say sounds so enticing to these people that they don't want anything else. They're satisfied with what they hear. I'm one of those who, most of the time, I know my limit when I go to a buffet. I'll go back twice and I'm at that point where I wouldn't mind having some more, but I know if I get a third plate, I'm going to be miserable. And usually I stop there. And that's the way that most people are. They are comfortable where they're at. They don't want to hear anything different. And in this sense, these prophets are stealing the word of God from their neighbor's ears. He said, Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies. In this day and age that we live, people would scream in horror if we call one of these televangelists a liar. That's what, Mal uh, what uh, Jeremiah is telling us. These people are telling lies. They are liars. They're not telling the truth. And they're thieves because they're stealing the word of God from their neighbor's ears. Listen to what he says. They cause their people to err by their lies and by their likeness. That is, they, they are soft-selling the word of God. They're not telling the whole truth, but they're telling a partial truth. They're tickling the people's ears and telling them what they want to hear. He says, I sent them not, nor commanded them, Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. The people are hearing what they want to hear, but there's no profit in it. There's no gain in it. Because they're living their lives in sin, there is no forgiveness in what they're doing. 
and their souls are still lost because these men have stolen the truth from their ears. We can steal, we can rob God by substituting man-made creeds for what God has said. Brethren, we don't need creeds. What we need is the word of God that we have here. If that book says more than what the Bible says, it says too much. If it says less than what the Bible says, it says too little. We don't need anything else. And yet people put more stock in those creed books than they do in the word of God. And the majority of these people out here, brethren, if you ask them, don't even realize that their denomination has a creed book. They have no idea because they've never been told. We can rob God by failing to warn others of the error that they're in. Brethren, we have an obligation to warn those who are lost. We have an obligation to warn our neighbors and our family members and our friends and our coworkers that the denomination that they belong to is not the church that Jesus built. And I promise you, brethren, when you do this, people will get offended. They will get angry. You will lose friendships. But yet we have that obligation. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, Ezekiel emphasizes this point. God told Ezekiel, I have made thee a watchman over the house of Israel. We know what a watchman is. He looks for danger. He is put upon the wall of that city to look for the enemy. For anything that might be a threat to the safety of those people inside those walls. We, in that sense, brethren, are watchmen over the word of God. We are to guard against anything that would infiltrate the church, that would harm it, that would damage it, that would corrupt what God has said. He went on to tell Ezekiel that if he did not warn them and they died in their sin, well, then their blood would be on his hand. But if he did warn them and they still died in their sin, well, then their blood would be on their hands and he would save his soul. Brethren, our souls depend on us warning others of the dangers that they are in. We are, in a sense, brethren, the watchmen, the guardians of the truth of God's word. Paul told Timothy that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And as Ezekiel has been told, we are the watchmen over it. We are in the process, brethren, of moving to a new property. And as ugly as this truth is, and as ugly as this concern is, there is a group, there is a, a group that goes for the next new thing. They're always looking for the next new thing, the next new building, the next new hobby. And it is almost a guarantee that when we move to the new property, we are going to get new members. And that is a blessing in itself that we get new members, but we have to guard against the corrupting influences of those who would lead us astray. And I say this brethren out of concern for the church at Panama Street here. Not that there are not good people at other places. Not that there are not good people who would love to worship with us, but because of the area that we're in, they hesitate. 
But there are those there who are simply there for the next new thing. I know brethren who go to certain congregations just because of the social influence that is there. I had one brother tell me that it's just like a big country club. That everybody who is somebody is there and that's the way that he likes it. And that's the only reason he goes there. We have to be watchmen over watchmen over the kingdom, brethren, and look for those dangers that would corrupt and lead us in the wrong direction. Number two, we can rob God by withholding his honor as our creator. God created us. Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have all seen enough evidence here. We have been blessed, overly blessed, with lessons from the Brethren of the Apologetics Press. And if I might say, they have pointed out so many common sense things that we can see in the world around us to convince us that, that God did create the world, God did create us, that we have no excuse for not honoring God as our creator. We can rob God by withholding our service, by not serving him as we should. We are all careful, brethren, to watch our behavior, to not go beyond the limits that God has put upon us, to be careful what we say, how we act, how we behave, who we associate with. We are careful, brethren, that our influence does not cast a bad light upon the church. And I've said before, brethren, I'm afraid that more of us will find ourselves in jeopardy because of sins of omission rather than sins of commission. Because we don't do the things that we're called upon to do. We have to be careful to do all of God's work. Not just watch for those things and be careful of those things that would uh, corrupt our behavior, but to do those things that would carry the work of the church forward and help the congregation to function better. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul says that we are bought with a price. We were bought with the blood of Christ. We are his. And in that sense, he has the right to dictate to us what we should do as well as we should, what we should not do. James says that Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, that one visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. Here, brethren, is both of our obligations, both the positive, that is, both the things that we should do and the negative things that we should not do in one verse. To do these things and yet keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That is pure religion, brethren, and undefiled before God and the Father. We should give ourselves to him and should not hide our talents, as did the one talent man in Matthew chapter 25. We are not comfortable with some people, and it's just natural. There are people that we're not comfortable with, people that we're not sure of. Uh, and I made this, this illustration this past Wednesday night in class, and I'm repeating myself to those who were there. But I remember years ago when we were the congregation of Highland Gardens. And I was a young man. I was 20 years old. But Brother Fowler, 
always seemed a real stern man to me. He was up in years, I'm guessing his late 80s or early 90s, and he never did talk much. But he just sat there. And I was terrified of the man, I don't mind telling you. Until I got to know him shortly before he passed away. One of the nicest people I'd ever met. Found out he was a veteran of World War I. And the things that I would love to have talked to him about, I could not do because I was afraid of him all that time. Let us take the time to get to know one another. And I think we'll find out that we're all pretty good people. We're all easy to get along with. We can't, we can't get to know people unless we get to know people. Let us put our best foot forward, brethren, in serving God, taking care of those who are in need, especially those of the household of faith. Number four, we can, with, we can rob God by withholding our gratitude. And I know I'm preaching on Frank's soapbox right now about those who have no gratitude. We live in a world that thinks everything belongs to me. What's mine is mine and what's yours is mine if I can get it. That is their attitude. No gratitude for the blessings that they have. No second thought for the fact that they're able to get up in the morning and go to work and do the things that they need to do. And they're not sick and in bed or handicapped or anything else. They just take for granted that everything belongs to them. We should give thanks for what we have and show our appreciation, brethren, in our deeds as well as our words. I did a, a Google search on gratitude, and, and you did that, and I found out that there are actually sites out there that have gratitude worksheets. And these are, these are worksheets where you can, you can go and you can get a list of things and day by day, or however you want to do it, work on this particular aspect of gratitude. And I thought, well, that's a great thing. That's a good habit to get into. Somebody made the statement yesterday uh, actually, it was one of the, the counter guys at Advanced Auto Parts. He said that he was trying to get in the habit of getting up early. And he read somewhere, you know, we always read somewhere or they say something, that if you do something 20 times in a row, it becomes a habit. Now, I don't know where somebody come up with 20 times in a row. But if we do something often enough, it becomes a habit. And we need to get into the habit of being grateful for what we have. <laughs> I found these quotes about gratitude. Saying thank you is more than good manners. It is good spirituality. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. That makes a lot of sense. If we're grateful for what we have, we have enough. We're not always striving for more. Don't think we've got to have the next latest and greatest thing. This author was unknown said, wouldn't it be an exhilarating tonic for the soul to take a moment to appreciate the simple good things in life which are so bountiful? All the small things that we have, wouldn't it be great if we all took the time to just think about the small pleasures that we have in life? 
be thankful for ice cream, for air conditioning, things along this line. Years ago, and I, I believe Doug and uh, Sister Floyd will, will remember this, there's a little boy, he was about two or three years old, his name was Brian McCarthy, and he loved to lead prayer in a training class. And he always, without fail, thanked God for our chairs. And I remember thinking every time he led that prayer, what a simple blessing to have a chair to sit in and to be thankful for something as simple as a chair. Have we ever thought about that? That we would be thankful for a chair? But be thankful for the simple things in life. A man named William Ward said, God gave you a gift of 86,400 seconds today. Have you used one to say thank you? Just a moment to thank God for, for being alive, for having another chance to repent, something we need to repent of. Another chance to say thank you, Lord, for the blessings that I have for my family. Another person said, the pilgrims made seven times more graves than huts. No Americans have been more impoverished than these who nevertheless set aside a day of thanksgiving. In spite of all that they went through, all the hardships, all the uncertainty, they set aside a day of thanksgiving. Silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. That's true. If we don't express it, it's not said. If we don't show it, it's not said. If we don't express it or show it, well, then nobody knows how grateful we are. And so it's fairly useless. I think one of the best ones that, uh, that I saw says that if the only prayer you said in your whole life was thank you, that would suffice. If the only prayer you led was a prayer to God that said, thank you for my blessings, he says that would suffice. Be grateful for what we have, brethren. God has put us in charge of the things that he has blessed us with. We are stewards. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter says that we have charge of another's possessions. That is, we are guardians of what God has blessed us with. He said that we are stewards of the manifold grace of God, stewards of his word. We are to care for it. We are to take care of it. We are to use it properly as it should be used. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 21, Paul says that we are to provide for things honest, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Be honest in business whether you are a businessman or you are conducting business as a purchaser. Don't deceive people. Don't cheat people. There are businesses all over the, this city who say, well, this is a gray area, trying to ease their conscience in an unscrupulous deal. Provide for things honest. One thing that I appreciate about my father-in-law is that he would rather cheat himself than to think that he deceived someone else. He would rather shortchange himself than shortchange someone else. He was an honest man, and I honestly believe, brethren, 
that this is one reason that God blessed him with work for so many years. When times were hard, when, when other companies were struggling, he always had work to do. He may have been slow sometimes, but he always had work because people knew he was honest and they would come back to him time and time and time again before they would go to someone else. If he was too busy to get to him now, they would wait because he was honest in business. Matthew 6 and 33 says that we should seek first the kingdom of God not put his business last. God has blessed us with many, many, many physical things, material things. We are to use these to his benefit, to his glory. Show God our gratitude by the stewards that we are, by using these things right, and use them as he should. First Chronicles chapter 29, and verse, beginning in verse 14, David is speaking of the things that God has blessed him with. They are speaking of constructing the temple. And David is expressing the fact that what they have really belongs to God. Listen to what David says, beginning in verse 14. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thy own have we given thee. They all belong to you anyway, he's telling God. We're just giving back to you what is rightfully yours. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers. Our days are uh, on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. We're just here a short time. And what we have God has blessed us with, we are stewards of those things and we are to use them appropriately. David said, I'm just here a little while, as my father was. And I'm just returning to you what is yours. He says, I also know, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. Now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. We willingly give these things back to you. It is easy when we're dealing with other people's goods to use them in ways that they should not be used. We can be generous with other people's money. We can be real generous with other people's money. But David wasn't of that mindset. He knew that what he had belonged to God and he should use it appropriately in a manner that was respectful to the manner in which God had trusted it to him. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Paul says that we reap what we sow. We will get in accordance to what we give to God. He will bless us according to the service that we give to him, the, the, the offering that we give to him. You know, we on the Lord's Day, we, we give of our means and we all pray that we'll give generously and that we'll give appropriately and proportionately, as we should. But do we understand the concept of sowing and reaping, of God blessing us as we bless Him? And of us blessing God as He has blessed us, we will reap what we sow. 
A covetous man is very unlike Christ. A covetous man is like we've seen the commercials that those bounty paper towels. You know, they put that towel down there and it just pulls everything in. And then it says, look, it can hold more. That's what a covetous man is. He has all this wealth, has all these goods, and yet he's constantly looking for more because he's not content with what he has. Let us be thankful, brethren, for what we have. Let us be content with what we have. And as Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 says, let us send our treasures on before us. Let us not be counted among those who would rob God of these things or anything. But let us honor God as he is. Let us give him the glory that is, he deserves. The worship and the praise that he deserves. Serve him as he deserves. And as God told the children of Israel, he will bless them in ways that they could not imagine. When we rob God, brethren, we rob ourselves of that home in heaven. When we rob God of these things, we put our souls in eternal, in eternal danger. We have an obligation to serve him as he said, to honor him as our creator. And to return the blessings that he has given us back unto him. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 Paul instructs Timothy to charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Let us be good stewards of what we have. Let us serve God as we should serve him. And watch what God does for us, the blessings that he returns unto us, the Things that we cannot imagine, brethren, that God has in store for us. The lesson is yours. I hope it has been an encouragement. Let us watch, brethren, that we are watchmen over the house of God, that we are watchful for the words that are taught here. From the pulpit as well as the classrooms, if there is any question, let us help those who, who don't understand to understand. And let us help each other, brethren, on the way to heaven. There may be some here this evening who have done something publicly, who have transgressed the law of God. They feel that they need the prayers of the church. You may have a, a particular issue that is bothering you, a problem or something that you need the prayers of the church. We encourage you to come forward. Maybe some here this evening who are not members of the Lord's church, who are age of accountability. If you have questions, we're willing to study with you, to help you. But most of all, brethren, we want the best for you. If you have need to respond this evening, will you come as we stand and sing?
For anyone who has not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper today, it's been prepared and it'll be served if you come to one of the front two pews as we're seeing number 93, same page opening here, number 93. Christ, we do all adore thee.
Robert, we're grateful for the lesson tonight. And uh, it, was, it was very well, well worded and put together. We appreciate it very much. Appreciate you willing to, to step in when there's a need. Uh, and, um, it's good to have people that can do that so I don't have to. So I'm especially grateful. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, sing one last song as a song of uh, a dismissal. Number 284. Number 284. Just beyond the rolling river, we'll sing this song, and then uh, we'll sing the first and last verse, and then we'll be dismissed with a prayer. Let's stand together as we sing this song. Just beyond the rolling river lies a bright and sunny land where the saved with Christ are dwelling, a united happy band. Just beyond the rolling river in that land so bright and fair we will dwell with Christ forever over there yes over there when we've crossed the rolling river to that land beyond the tide pearly gate golden hinges will be standing all but wide just beyond the rolling river in that land so bright and fair we will dwell with Christ forever over there